heard every every pronunciation. You've heard it all. Yeah. Um, Zach's video here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with AJ Marcinek. Not to be confused with AJ Marcinek <laughs> or Marcinek or I don't know what are all the different ways that they pronounce it when Marciniak. you when you played hockey. Like what what's the craziest thing you've heard and you're like that's not my name. Probably Marciniak. Marciniak. Marciniak, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can understand how it's spelled that way, kind of, yeah. but, um, but yeah, don't, people don't yeah. really throw in, like, the Polish, yeah. like, Marci. Marci. So, Marcinek, so Polish, Polish name. Mm-hmm. So, your dad's Polish. Both sides. And your mom's Polish. Yeah. Couple, uh, couple of Polacks from the Midwest. That's correct. Yeah? All right. Yep. So, so where'd you, you grew up, like, around Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? Yep. So, I grew up just south of Grand Rapids, a small town called Burn Center. And it was kind of um, an old farm town in the process of, like, suburbanizing. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of rural kind of memories growing up, but also, like, suburban. And nice. Grew up on a golf course, so that kind of mixed in as well. Nice. I want to kind of unpack it all, like, just yeah. real quick for listeners that are, like, tuning in. So AJ Marcinek is uh, the CEO and co-founder of Crop Shop, which is a company I met through Deirdre Sartorelli, who's uh, assistant dean and, and head of the Angle Center for Entrepreneurship at Endicott. And AJ and his co-founder, Camp Beck, uh, just two super impressive entrepreneurs out of Endicott, graduated last spring, been in touch with, with AJ throughout the year. Uh, got a really interesting business model through Crop Shop, which we'll get more into later, which is basically helping create a bridge and connect local farmers with local restaurants. And uh, it's really um, neat uh, to see that manifest. Like I live in Beverly, so I'll go down Cabot Street and, and I'll drive by a spot like Ellis Square Social. And that's, you know, that's a local business where they are bringing local farm, um, you know, fresh to table and it, they're doing it through a partnership with, with crop shop. So this is a uh, truly impressive, impressive stuff for, for a company like right out of, right out of college. Uh, and I think in, on Boston Speaks Up, you know, we want to highlight a range of, of, of voices, um, folks at different parts of their entrepreneurial journey or just different ty- types of artists and innovators from sort of all across that run a wide gamut. And I think, um, AJ, one of the reasons I really want to talk to you is, A, like, it's really impressive what you've done at a young age, but also you're a college athlete. You played, um, you took kind of a non-traditional path to sort of playing junior hockey and then going back to college and um, you've suffered from some concussion issues, which which I know we can get into a little later. Um, and generally just have like a very positive, warm um, sort of presence about you. Like right now, Thank like, you. this is things less listeners can't experience. You're like, you're smiling. You're just kind of, I could tell you're great. You're grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have you here. Um, so yeah, so I think with, with that, let's kind of, I want to unpack all those things, but let's go back to, to, you know, the, your childhood where you grew up and, um, you know, be curious too, like your, you know, your parents, like what, what generation sort of Polish, you know, what, what immigrants they, they may have been, like how many generations has your, has your family been here? Sort of what was the, what was the trade of your, your family? What kind of got you, uh, on the path that you are today, but sort of, you know, t- talk to, talk to listeners about, childhood in the midwest we haven't had too many folks on from yeah the midwest absolutely yet. well thanks for having yeah. me real excited to be here and thanks for the kind words um yeah so i grew up in Burns center michigan 
Just south of Grand Rapids. It's Midwest country. Um, I am fourth generation Polish, so my mom's side immigrated from Poland to Chicago, and my dad's side immigrated from Poland to Michigan. Um, my dad grew up on a dairy farm, and my mom grew up moving a lot throughout the Midwest, but they both settled in the Grand Rapids area. And yeah, so he, my dad's an engineer by trade. Um, my mom has her doctorate degree and has worked in the hospital industry her whole life. Uh, I'd probably get my work ethic from both of them, just seeing them hustle and grind their way and do anything they possibly could to help out my sisters and I. But yeah, not much um, in terms of entrepreneurial genes in my family. I think the the kind of most similar is my great-grandfather was in a famous Polish band. But in terms of that, it's like mostly not very entrepreneurial, but still has that kind of creative and, and yeah. mindset to get things done. Yeah. And a lot of the entrepreneurial gene, though, is like the willingness to work really hard. Yeah. You know, like one thing I discovered about you before, like, you know, a month or so ago when we connected, is that you're personally picking up and delivering the goods from farms to restaurants right now right and you know there's any good entrepreneurs like willingness or unwillingness to roll up their sleeves and do like the labor intensive work to get their company off the ground will make or break the company and so i think having that kind of work ethic is something sounds like you probably got from your parents yeah definitely i mean and my mom would work so she ran a radiology department. She'd work until 6 p.m. And then she's getting her doctor at the same time and just seeing that day in and day out. And then the work they had to put in on top of that for me and my sisters. And um, that definitely transitioned from them to me for sure. And thankfully, getting away from doing deliveries myself yeah. as we're now starting to um, onboard some drivers and kind of take that next step. But yeah, it's, I think it's important for any early stage company to kind of get in the guts and talk to their customers. And that was the biggest reason why I started doing it was like, okay, we'll be able to talk to our customers at least once a week if I just do this myself. And, yeah. and to see what's going on in the kitchen, see what's going on at the farms and just see like where we're at and what our value is. And um, yeah, did it a little longer than I was expecting, but in my car kind of took a toll a little yeah. bit. But yeah, uh, but yeah it's, I mean... It's something I created and to see that impact and something, you know, just to see the value firsthand yeah. is, is pretty fun. And to learn that's from neat. our customers was huge. That's Absolutely neat. huge. That's neat. I, I want to get into that more after we kind of graduate from from your upbringing. So you have a, so you have a unique story. Talk to, so you have, to, you had, um, and this is maybe the less unique part. Plenty of people got sisters and brothers, but you got, you got two sisters, was you got it? two older sisters. Two older and, sisters. Yeah, and... and from an early age, I, I wanted to play hockey. That's really all I ever wanted to do and um, started driving. I grew up in Grand Rapids, which is on the west side of Michigan of the state. And then I started driving and playing out outside of Detroit metro area. So my parents were driving me to practice two hours one way, twice a week. And then... Um, would your sisters throughout. do their own thing yeah they, they were just yeah, yeah they were loving it because my yeah. parents would come with me every weekend so they'd be like hey, home alone you know nice. whatever. but but yeah it was it was pretty incredible and there's probably um, another podcast where your sisters maybe can tell you know stories about what kids do when houses are empty um they would know when, they would yeah. know yeah for sure uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so your, your sisters love you so they got to throw the best parties in high school uh, and then you traveled all around playing hockey, and then you got into junior hockey at, at what age? 
Um, so after I graduated high school, so yeah. 2012. Yeah. And so, so you that's didn't kind go of to college, typical, right? You, no, not. Yeah. And that's the t- kind of the typical path um, for kids that want to play college hockey. There's some that go right out of high school, true freshmen. Um, but generally, you'll play AAA or prep school or whatever until you graduate high school. And then there's a level called junior hockey where it's pretty much just kids playing hockey for free, not getting paid. Um, and yeah, it's incredible. So yeah. I spent three years just playing juniors, trying to earn a scholarship to play college. Um, Where's the most interesting place that you played when you were in juniors? Jeez. We, so I, I played in the North American Hockey League, which is a lot of like secondary cities in the country. Yeah. So like. I played for Kalamazoo, and I played for a team in Flint, but we, we went everywhere. We went to Alaska, we went to Washington, Wenatchee, a lot of towns in Pennsylvania. Um, wow. Yeah, all so over the Midwest. Far, yeah. You yeah. your way to Alaska to play yeah. juniors? Cool. All over, yeah, all over the Midwest, and then, yeah, it was Johnstown, Pennsylvania was where Slapshot was filmed. Um, nice. And they were in our division, and it was always crazy there. They loved it so much, but yeah, but yeah a, lot of, a lot of weird just places that you wouldn't you wouldn't generally go on vacation, but yeah. got to see everything. That's really cool. So three years in juniors, and what was it that was the catalyst for you then deciding to go and seek out a college education? Well, you you age out of juniors, so there's yeah. an age limit. Okay. Um, and then after, so once you turn 21, that's, yep. that's it. So then that's generally when kids start to go play college. Now it's turning more towards younger and younger, but... Um, so you know, like, okay, I have two years of juniors left. I need to start figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I was uh, I was between going, playing at Johnson Wales to go to culinary school or go to Endicott, which I ended up going to. Yeah. And I studied environmental science there. Cool. And we were part of, Cam and I were both part of the, uh, the inaugural NCAA team at Endicott, which is pretty awesome. Got it. So it was like Endicott's had just, start, just started was the hockey program existing but more as a club and then they they were officially constituted as an NCAA team when you guys started there? Yep, correct. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, they had a club team and then the year we got there the the rink opened on campus and nice. we were like officially, you know, NCAA but but yeah, it was really cool to just kind of be a part of that like birth of the program and all the everything nothing was really set in stone so we kind of had to create everything. I'm already identifying a couple threads that that kind of tease a, a hint at you eventually it making sense that you are a co-founder of crop shop one is your dad working on a farm yeah when he was growing up and two is you were looking at culinary school Absolutely. johnson and wales like yep. you definitely were edging that direction so you're on so you're, those things are kind of permeating through you the, but, but when you got to endicott you started playing hockey um what like when, when did you first deal with your when did you deal with your first concussion well, I don't know if I have an exact date yeah. for that, but, but yeah, my, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that I dealt with a little bit in juniors, but then uh, at the end of my freshman year, I had a real bad one at Endicott. Interestingly enough, Cam and I both got injured uh, the same game, two minutes apart. And we're talking about Cam Cam, Black, the co-founder of Crop Your Shop, co-founder, yeah. Yep. And, um, and did he have a similar head injury? Yeah, yeah, and then it was just like both were, I think, it just was kind of like the start of us kind of steering away from that and coming together as co-founders, which, but it was interesting. How and that just, was freshman year? That was the end of our freshman year. And then, did you guys um, keep playing hockey after freshman year? Yeah. So Cam played, uh, two more years. I played one more year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we, but throughout you, that was like the culmination of yeah. like 
all right, maybe this. Because up until that point, I mean, that was really our life, and the only thing we really saw for it was, was hockey, 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 hockey. And then, yeah, as injuries and different, you know, things, you get older, you kind of okay, maybe there's other things, maybe yeah. other ambitions, maybe other ideas. And then, um, but yeah, that game and that moment where we both kind of got injured was like an yeah. interesting way to kind of yeah. Did you guys go through some sort of concussion protocol program together, like some sort of like head rehab? Like, is there any what exists? Like, is it still it's still the wild west for dealing with head injuries? Yeah, huh? I mean they try and they have like, okay, how's your head today? How's this today? You know, there's little things you can do and um, it's a bit sub- subjective. But, but it's very subjective. <laughs> yeah. Very, and it's it's everyone's different. Everyone's brain is different. Everyone gets hit differently. Everyone reacts differently to everything. Their phone, sleep, eating. Um, so yeah, it's just, there's no real like pinpoint to what's going on and I think that's the real problem and it's up to the people who are injured to kind of just go along with this and say okay I feel this way I feel yeah. this way and, and it's kind of up to them to figure it out whereas if you have a broken arm you get an x-ray okay cast three weeks boom yeah um with head injuries it's a little different because it's more subjective and you kind of have to like kind of figure it out for yourself yeah interesting so you so you have you and Cam both suffer head injuries freshman year you play one more year you play sophomore year Cam plays two more uh, at what point did you guys, and you mentioned this in the pre-podcast Q&A, that like, what, if you weren't doing crop shot, you'd probably be tinkering on some other startup idea with Cam. So at what point did you and Cam start like ideating on startup ideas? And at one point did it hit you that crop shop or the beginning of crop shop was something that you both kind of wanted to go heavy into? Yeah, well, I had the, I had the initial idea for a social platform for chefs and local farmers going into our junior year and at that time Cam was dealing with another injury and still playing and I didn't really want to bother with bother him with it um he's a computer science major for a little more context um so I knew he's that the he'd, builder. Be, he'd be yeah. you know it'd yeah. be perfect you know we're yeah. friends already we yeah. both are into that sort of thing and but I was like All right, I don't really want to bother him and then um actually had another an initial uh co-founder on the team and then he ended up leaving like a couple months and it just wasn't really working out and then at that time cam was feeling better and then it just kind of magically came together and wham bam and what year was that so that was our junior year okay cool so yeah. that was that a helpful catalyst for cam saying you know what i don't know if i need a place senior yeah year. absolutely yeah i mean i think so i hope <laughs> yeah. so i don't know for yeah. sure i can't say but it seems like the line um, nice yeah the timing works out yeah there. it did it absolutely yeah. did and then it was really it kind of organically kind of came together and then we were just ready to go on a journey nice. um so so one of the interesting things I think for this conversation and for for listeners of from different angles I think that you know first time entrepreneurs can get a lot out of this, but also like you know what I've been impressed by is what Endicott's done with the Angle Center for Entrepreneurship and specifically what Deirdre Sartorelli and, and the group are doing there the faculty. Uh, so talk me through and listeners through what was it like. You know, as a sophomore, junior, heading towards your senior year. Now Cam's done hockey. You've been done for a year. What was it like and how did how did Endicott sort of empower you to really build and, and, and incub- essentially incubate your startup? Because you hit the ground running this past year, like literally in the last six months. Uh, so what was it? Can you talk through sort of like the program and the framework and the support that you got there? Yeah. Um, so I had the initial idea for a social platform for chefs and farmers, which was the first, uh, version of crop shop. And, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. You know, I wasn't around other founders. I wasn't friends with any other founders. Um, 
And so I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm going back to school in a couple of weeks and there's an entrepreneurship center there. So I, I guess I'll just pop in and see what they have yeah. to say. And it was Deidre who was there and she kind of gave me the first swift kick and was like, just go talk to the, go to the farmer's market, talk to farmers, go to, you work at a restaurant, talk to the chefs there, you know, just that initial, like, all right, we'll start taking some action. And um, that's great. that was the initial yeah. lesson was like, okay. It's up to me. I guess you know. I got to do this myself. Go do some market research. Yeah, and, yeah. Make um, sure this is a pain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And but yeah, it was yeah. like she was like our startup mom for the next two years, essentially. Right. Like anything we needed to do at the school, like at Endicott, in your senior year, you do a semester long internship, mm-hmm. and uh, generally kids go to different companies, do an internship. Um, but we, thanks to Jidra, we're yeah. fortunate enough to be the first ones to kind of do the semester long internship. On, our own, on your own business. Yeah, Great. so we, like, they gave us office yeah. space, and, I mean, yeah, they did anything that That's awesome. could to help us, and, um, granted, we, if we, like, were asking for these things and not working, working. and doing yeah. things, then it probably would have been a different story, but, but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of the perfect little atmosphere, and people willing to help, and, and wanting, wanting to help, and, um, in a place where I kind of was looking for that. That's great. Yeah. And, I mean, sometimes the practical approaches to you know common things are easier said than done like it sounds like and you know endicott had to bend and create a new rule for your internship to essentially be focusing on your business but it seems like the logical thing to offer to <laughs> students that uh, really want to folk have an idea and a framework set and a business model to execute yeah. against so was that your last semester of your senior year that you did that or was no it, so that yeah. was our that was our first semester and then of senior year yep oh cool senior year and so then you got a lot we, of legwork in the first semester exactly yeah, yeah it was huge and then it kind of gave us a taste of like just yeah. being full-time and doing nothing but it and yeah um and then we had to go second semester we both had heavier classes again and throughout this whole time we're doing our manual kind of yeah. hands-on process with our yeah. prototype um and then yeah it was just it was kind of a year of just learning from our early adopters and and slowly but surely getting through school and then kind of preparing to kind of go yeah. full-time and okay how are we gonna do this after school and what's next um yeah so yeah it was cool. a kind of perfect little runway for us perfect all right, cool. Let's dig into it. So talk. Yeah. So talk about what what you know. Starting with beginning with what would would you learn from, like, how do you even just go about just walk into restaurants and say, hey, can I? Talk? Is the chef around? Uh, you know, how do you approach and identify local farmers? There's plenty of nice, beautiful farms in the Cape Ann adjacent area. I live up that way. Um, there is great place for pumpkin patches this time of the year, folks. Um, spent a spent a nice uh, Saturday with my two year old at a pumpkin patch this weekend. It was Very great. Nice. Apple cider donuts, hot apple cider, you name it, whatever you need. I could use a donut. Yeah, I could use a donut right now. Uh, so yeah, so talk about the discovery phase, and and then talk about the business, and talk about what you learned, and talk about how you you know the MVP, you know that first minimum viable product you put out there, and you know the. T- taking the hands-on approach to all right cam's the builder he's the computer science grad so he he's building this he's helping build the tech and i'm helping like you're rolling up your sleeves and you're like creating uh you know business development partnerships and alliances on the restaurant side on the farmer side you're manually picking things up and delivering them you're probably note-taking on like okay what's the process dynamic what are the frameworks i can create how can i be more efficient so 
talk what 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 were the discoveries what was the business at start how's the business evolved and evolving right now yeah it's been well it's been a fun little early stage journey so initially we like i mentioned previously it was a social platform for chefs and farmers that was the initial idea so kim and i put together a website it was like pretty much facebook but focused at chefs and farmers um initially went to farmers markets got a bunch of farms they're like oh yeah that'd be great like we we always need help looking for customers like small scale farmers kind of get pushed out on the edges so um and then you hit the nail on the head but i just went into a couple of restaurants and asked to speak to the chef uh ledger in salem executive chef daniel gersha i walked in there with the website on my phone and just happened to run into him <laughs> nice. and um yeah and then a year and a half later here we are and have, are you still servicing ledger yeah yeah and have you eaten there yet uh, yeah, of course. I haven't eaten there yet, and you I should. keep being told it's amazing. You should, yeah, yeah. It is. and he's the man. But yeah. it was just like, and then we just kind of hit it off, and yeah. then it's evolved in this cool relationship I have with all their like customers. Um, but nice. so back to yeah. the social platform, yeah. we were really like holding people's hands along, and it almost felt like we were forcing people to use it. And they almost like felt bad for us. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, okay. And then once we really started asking them questions, like, what is this doing for you? Like, is this even working? And then we started to realize that they kind of had trouble dealing with each other. They're a little colliding personalities. And this isn't for every yeah. chef and farmer, but, yeah. um, and then every conversation that the website generated, it always ended with who was going to pick up or deliver the products. So it was like, yeah, this is great. Like I'm able to talk to them, but like, I don't want to bring it. They don't want to come get it. Um, and it just kind of created more problems. So the actually them. like delivery transaction was was the pain point, common pain point. That and yeah, yeah and well, initially yeah. finding each other, initially having that conversation finding, to get new just, pro yeah. like products was huge for yeah. the farmers to find customers and cool for the chefs too to see what's yeah. out there. But it just wasn't like it wasn't the full. It wasn't solving the actual like problem, which is like making the whole process easy and um that's when we were like okay well let's just kind of iterate towards the marketplace cut the social stuff out just focus on buying and selling the products and then having a logistical solution um so that's when we kind of iterated towards that and then right at the time we started our senior year um and then since we made that iteration we've done thirty-five thousand in sales and uh 215 repeat chef orders um so now we're launched in our marketplace cropshopmarket.com typical online shopping experience wham bam um makes it extremely easy for chefs to just find fresh quality local ingredients and uh, easy access to customers for for local farms and it's Amazing. an industry really kind of dominated right now by incumbents who are stuck in outdated processes um yeah who are you up against yeah, I mean, I don't want yeah. I don't yeah. want to talk better yeah. like yeah. really naming yeah. names, but it's it's just an yeah. it's kind of an age old industry yeah. where uh, everyone sees the trucks driving around and clogging up the roads, especially here in Boston. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so they the problem is they they want to get as much uh, products from farms from as few farms as possible yeah. at a cheap price. So there's only a few places you can do that, really California and states like that, where they can load up a truck and then bring it to warehouses throughout the country to be sold. Um. And this gives, this is why we can have avocados in the winter in Boston and kind of have this like huge food system. But this has really created problems because they, they avoid small scale farmers throughout the country. And then now that consumers have become more aware and educated on the food system and are continuously demanding like high quality, fresh food, it's been, it makes it kind of a problem for chefs to easily get this food. 
Uh, so that's what we're trying to solve is just make it easy for, for chefs to get fresh products without going through the hassle of doing it on their own or dealing with a distributor that really doesn't really care about the food. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cool. So impressed. So congrats. Like, th- so 35,000 in business and 215 repeat, uh, repeat orders from, from, from chefs, yeah. restaurants. What have you learned? So from the, those 215 repeat orders, what are some of the, what are, where are their commonalities? Like, what are some of the, mm-hmm. what are some of the discoveries you're making? And, and is it, I mean, one, I'm making an, like, for example, like an assumption I would make is, are many of these repeat um, chefs, like, is, are, you know, whether it's Ledger and Salem Mass or Ellis Square Social and Beverly Mass, is it that they really want to bring that local small farm fresh to table and have that optionality? Like, is that one? And, and what other sort of commonalities have you discovered that are like the top two, three, four, five things that you're realizing like, wow, the total addressable market here for us is really huge because this is a lot, this is a really underserved population. Yeah. I think number one commonality is, is it makes customers happier and that's what they're all going after. Um, their the chefs, they want patrons. To, yes. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. want their house during the hospitality business. They want to provide yeah. amazing experiences and we kind of give them a way to differentiate themselves and make customers happy and have this quality local stuff. That's not the typical kind of dinner. And, um, so providing a quality experience is number one that we're, we're helping with that, that they have in common. And then number two is like just the difference in the, when we bring stuff to a kitchen and then I see like another distributor walking behind me and like the reaction is just 100% different from the kitchen staff. It's like, oh, it's from the farm. Let's take a look. Let's smell. Let's feel. Um, and then, the, you know, the other stuff is just kind of bland. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, here it is. But, but yeah, providing a unique and experience their diners and making them happier and having dishes that they're continuously demanding is is definitely the most common thing that all of our chefs have cool so let's talk about like what's at the time of this recording we're sort of like pre like a a nice milestone for your business and and we'll when this podcast goes live it'll kind of be in tandem with um with a new platform launch right so what's new that's coming out with, with crop shop well so um, for the past year, the kind of manual process we've been going is we've been either emailing order sheets or do a, or visiting our chefs with our marketplace prototype to take orders. And then I would do pick up and deliveries. And this would give me a tremendous amount of opportunities to talk to them to really get into the guts of what's going on. Um, and then we were in school, so we had no scale, way to scale our logistics. And so now we're out of school. We're um, Cam props to him, developed our web app, which is propshopmarket.com. And it's just an, like a typical shopping ex- online shopping experience. It's just all the products, easy, wham, bam. And then, um, yeah, it's been, so we're finally out of the, the hands-on manual process and launching our software and kind of getting back to growth. Great. Yeah. Great. What's, um, and you, you kind of mentioned like one of the things that's ahead is just like, you know, make dealing with logistics through a new england winter although i did hear a report today that signs are it's going to be a mild winter fingers crossed yeah, knock knows? on wood we'll see um but yeah what are the unique challenges you face running this business through the winter well number one is the <laughs> amount of products available decreases yeah. so but thankfully there's we work with incredible farmers that are able to grow greens and different things throughout the winter okay um so it's not like the business dies and it's yeah. not like this is impossible throughout the winter it's just right. different you know there's not tomatoes there's squash and, yeah. and instead of 
and there's still greens, there's still arugula, lettuce mix, and mizuno, you know, there's all that stuff throughout the winter. They, they're really ingenuitive with how they go about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the logistics, it's just different. It's not, I mean, the business still runs the same. It, yeah. Um, it's just kind of, you know, it's, the drivers have to go about things a little differently, a little right. carefully maybe, oh, yeah. but... Through a storm or something. Yeah. Is there more, like, is there potentially more, like, winter season demand because there's limited, so, like, you want, there's a limited, more scarce amount of local farms. So, for restaurants that have a mandate where, like, we serve a local community in Cambridge or in, in Salem or on the South Shore that really would, appreciates and considers an... A, a, an advantage to coming to our restaurant that we have local like farm to fresh um to table food are those um are those restaurants particularly like increasing orders do you have enough data through last winter like have you noticed like of those 215 how do the orders break down from a season over season standpoint yeah so oh so we've actually been able to slowly but surely grow the average order throughout last summer all the way to this summer. So even throughout the winter, it was gradually at a 5% rate growing. Right. But in terms of um, the winter creating more demand, I can't really speak yeah. on that because last winter we were college students kind of stuck in a weird place yeah. where we couldn't grow. So we weren't really focused on um, trying to find that demand. But, sure. but yeah, it's there. I mean, the fact that the, the chefs can get fresh greens in the winter of boston from 30 minutes away that's amazing um and and it's a difference it's yeah. not it's not coming from california it's yeah. not yeah sitting in a warehouse um but i can't really say it. the demand is kind of if it's if there's products available there's going to be demand and there's going to yeah. be chefs that want it um so two two sort of follow-up questions to that well, of the the 215 restaurants i'm curious where they are and then where are your farms like like where are farms distributed across mass like are you kind of plugged in all over and then of those 215 restaurants like uh, like uh, are they most heavily in boston in worcester the north shore south shore like where are your partners yeah so primarily the north shore so mm -hmm. most of our farmers are on the north shore ipswich raleigh um those areas are huge iron ox farm aprila farm mahaffey farm and then um we have a coal farms in Western Mass, the Pioneer Valley, so Kitchen Garden Farm and then Red Fire. And so both of those in Western Mass kind of there's more space, bigger fields, bigger volumes. Mm -hmm. um, North Shore, smaller farms, a little more tedious, a little, but they all, they're all after the same thing and, mm -hmm. and taking freshness and taking quality seriously. And then the restaurants, same thing in North Shore. It's where we started. Yeah. So um, being in Beverly, being yeah. in Endicott, yeah. it was easy. Okay, let's go to Salem. There's a bunch of restaurants there. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we now have uh, 10 restaurants in Salem, Beverly, and then a couple in Boston. Cool. Yeah. And nice. uh, it's so the growth for the wild is just uh, kind of organic, free referrals of people telling their friends. And um, that's kind of how we grew initially. And then uh, on top of kind of me going into restaurants sometimes and, hey, where's the chef? Um, so the combination of those two things got us to that number. Cool. And over the next six to 12 months is where's the fo focus for growth? Is it increasing? I mean, you need to do it in balance, but is it increasing restaurants and specifically in Boston or what, where are you focused on growth geographically? Uh, so the North Shore and Boston still, yeah. Yeah. um, both those areas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a, the more farms we have, the better, cause then we can have more consistency and more variety. And then if one 
farm runs out of rainbow carrots. There's five other that have rainbow yeah. carrots, so that's always good. But the focus for restaurant growth is is North Shore to Boston for sure, and um, obviously. Boston market's a little bigger, yeah. and it's a little harder for them to connect with the farms that are on the North Shore, so there's a little bit more of a value there for them, but the restaurants on the North Shore still, they want access to as yep. much local stuff as possible and not be limited, so Boston and the North Shore throughout the whole greater area, and yeah. we, um, we haven't really gone into the restaurants in Western Mass yet, but we've just been focused on trying cool. to keep a, a small area happy and stay within. Nice. So you made a strategic personal move recently so you really got the north shore dialed in you went to endicott you tons of that's where all your initial relationships began so you have a ton of farmer relationships plenty of restaurant relationships you recently moved to boston where are you living uh in brighton so nice. i'm like the brighton brookline border cool uh, how how, are you, yeah. how long have you been there and how, how are you liking so it since september 1st we're yes. loving it yeah, yeah. we're loving it so and you and like, cam your roommates yeah nice. yeah so office yeah. living yeah. whole nine yards yeah it's yeah. great we're liking it and we spent four years on north shore salem beverly yeah. um and yeah it was a nice change of pace it's great and like you said easy for me to kind of run around the restaurants and in the city and even though the commuter rail is nice it's it's uh it's a little quicker to jet around. Yeah, it's easier to be on a main line, <laughs> yeah. than the green line. Even if the green line is the trolley line that goes a little slower than the yep. other three, um, you're still you're, you're still able to um, zip around the city a lot a exactly. lot quicker. So talk about. I mean, you talked plenty about how Endicott sort of and nurtured um, you and Cam as entrepreneurs. Why do you feel like Boston's the right city for crop shop, and and what is it? Can you speak to Boston as an innovation community? I mean, as as a Midwest boy, like, <laughs> is Boston really become home for you now? And like, you know, from an entrepreneurial uh, standpoint, do you feel like this is the best place for for you guys, like, for the foreseeable future? We do, we do, and um, shout out to the Midwest. I've heard nothing but good things about Detroit's uh, startup community these days. But yeah, I mean, we started here. It's it's where we were so it's like all right well this is where we are let's make it happen and then now that we're out of school it's like all right well do we go somewhere warm this and that but it's like there's enough farms in this area and the people of boston are demanding the food that we're trying to bring to kitchen so it's like without that then there's not really our business and um so number one that's why we'd love to be here and it's it's an area that is like always innovating always changing always trying to get better and um so people aren't freaked out by that, and restaurants and farms alike, they're kind of used to it. So it's not like, where I grew up in Barnes Center trying, maybe this might be, if I talk to some farms there, they might yeah. be a little more thrown off. But it's like, I don't know, I feel here there's just, there's always that, there's always people trying to do things and, and make it better and make things happen and kind of that like hustle economy and East Coast attitude. But yeah, cool. we don't see, we never saw a really great reason to leave. Um Especially the fact that our early adopters were here, and we can learn from them. We can always talk to them, but, but yeah, we it's it's a, the winters cause a little dilemma. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. it's not a reason to to upend the whole business and try and change locations. Yeah, makes sense. Are there any brewing sort of innovative ideas between you and Cam on d specifically dealing with the winters, or just additional ideas that are sort of crop shop specific or crop shop adjacent that you guys i'm sure you guys are living together yeah your founder roommates so i imagine there's a lot of ideating but any that you want to speak to whether it's about the winner specifically or just more broadly um i mean yeah we're always trying to tinker around with <laughs> yeah. stuff of course but 
but yeah, getting through trying to to in keep our average order growth rate throughout the winter and um, is a challenge. You no, know, and but finding the right farms and having the right products and having everything in place kind of takes care of itself. But, but yeah, we're we're always trying to figure out how to incorporate consumers more into this, and um, we we now have a, a middle ground with that's like the MVP of what we call our hub, where. Um, it kind of consolidates the deliveries that happen straight from the farm. And uh, we're thinking down the road that that hub could slowly be turned into like a brick and mortar farmer's market or something along those lines. But cool. That, I mean, yeah. that's, that's yeah. way down the road right now. Yeah. We're focused on the marketplace, yeah. making chefs and farmers as happy as possible and giving them as much value as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much to do just in this yeah. process and so many things to check off the list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so making a marketplace as amazing as possible and as easy as possible for our customers is, is our focus for sure. Great. Are you guys going to, are you considering looking for financing for the business? Yeah, so we're we're um, in the middle of our seed, run, seed fund right now. And um, it's, that was a, it took us a little while to figure out that, what we we're going to do about that and how much to raise and all this. Um but yeah, we're we're in the groove and and we're almost there. So cool. We think we'll be able to close it out and then um, get back to growth. Nice. So is the idea to close a seed round in as soon as Q four twenty nineteen, like in the next next two three months? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then so. And then what's the some of that money going to go toward? You like adding some investment in in the platform and in the software and and or what about personnel? Well, so we're not we're not adding any personnel okay. after our seed yeah. um, round. We really we want to get back to growth and have our now that we can scale logistics. Now that our software um, is is public and it's not us doing a hands on process. If we can get back to growth and validate all of that, um, then we think we'll be in a position to raise again and and bring on some more people. But for the foreseeable future, we really just want to get as much traction out of our our marketplace and and get as much data as possible on our logistics that we're rolling out um and then from take it from there but if these two things can fuel our growth throughout the the next year then um we'll probably think more about adding people cool cool but yeah that's what we, yeah that's the plan nice that's great um we jammed about this a little bit offline and i'll help if you want to talk about it a bit like with with me now and with listeners but like regarding some of the logistics innovation and like how you can maneuver the pickup and delivery have you are you kind of in a mode right now of tinkering with how you might tap into the on-demand economy like i.e like uber lyft etc like and how you might be able to create and tap into that that existing um solution in market to help scale the the sort of pickup and delivery element of the service absolutely yeah so they're the kind of oncoming of people doing everything in their own cars, Instacart, DoorDash, Uber, all of this, it's, it's, it's here to stay and it's normal. It's not a new thing anymore. So it's like if we can apply that to our own drivers doing something similar, but instead of picking up from a restaurant to DoorDash, they're picking up from a local farm and bringing it to a restaurant. Um, and it's everything so localized that there's no need to have a truck and it's just an easy way to kind of make it happen instead of having a huge fleet of logistics, a few, huge fleet of trucks and then we're driving to California to fill it up. Um, we just never saw that as necessary and we kind of, 
we want to take advantage of of the gig economy and mm-hmm. people that are contractors and anyone that's already doing DoorDash is familiar with the process and the mm-hmm. system. And if they like doing it, then yeah, I'll drive for Crowd Shop as well. But we we saw a perfect reason to kind of just take advantage of the system that's kind of accumulating. Yeah, yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what do you got planned for for this winter outside of uh, working day and night with your roommate co-founder? What what's your favorite thing to do in Boston in the winter? Ooh, I haven't lived in Boston in the winter yet, <laughs> yeah. so it was. Um, but recently, I like uh, riding my bike down the Storo bike path. That's always nice. Um, I love doing that. Yeah, yeah, great little spot. Yeah, but we're we're trying to dive more into the area in Brookline. Um, awesome little spots all over but you can go ice skating and the boston common does a little pop-up ice rink in the winter oh no kidding which is fun like, nice yeah um uh, yeah i haven't skated a I've been take two i was gonna ask you a couple year hiatus have you uh so you're not playing hockey like or anything right now no. so one of those things where like if you get on skates like you want to play hockey <laughs> like it's kind of hard to just like skate around i mean <laughs> it's 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 nice to actually just kind of do it whenever i want yeah. and um you know i still watch nhl games and stuff like that it's just so is your team i, got, I think Red i got wings? it all most out of my system uh what? yeah i like to see the wings do well for sure yeah and, um how do you how, what my, are your thoughts on the bruins how like they're, uh, yeah they're good i mean i don't know but like are like your thoughts on the like are you are you maybe living in boston proper will help yeah can we win you over is there any shot i mean Red Wings i mean are i like being, i like them yeah. being i like them doing well and yeah. there being a lot of action it's a the hockey city. town yeah and i will say this I've is never, a hockey town i went to a bruins game uh for the first time last year and i have never seen so many people at the game with the team jersey on like i've been the blackhawks yeah. game in games all it's kind of like being in camp like the hell people who are really like my friends who are really in hockey they're like Boston, like, or they come here, like, Canadians fans come here, whatever. Yeah. Like, Boston's kind of one of the closest things to being in Canada. Like, just the way that the rabid fans are yeah. here for hockey. No, they absolutely love yeah. it. And, yeah, it's, I like, I'd rather be in a hockey town than be in a, a town where yeah. nobody really cares or talks about it. But, but yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I, I listen to, like, Toucher and Rich. Like, I sometimes I'll catch up, I'll catch up on it as a podcast if I don't catch it in the morning when they're on. But, like, 98.5 The Sports Hub. And, like, they're, like, Boston transplants and, like, by and large, like, not really, like, Boston sports fans, but they, which is kind of nice because it's, like, not just, they're just, like, homers doing sports yeah. radio locally, but they love the Bruins. And one of the reasons they love the Bruins is they just love the hockey players. And, like, yeah, I'm, like, t- you know, at, generally speaking, um, of all the athletes that you kind of meet, like, hockey players tend to be the most down to earth. So I also think that's nice, too. Yeah. yeah, you hear, like, Bruins get on and do, like, interviews, or a lot of hockey players are just kind of a little more, like, relatable. It's definitely its own yeah. culture, and um, I think all the time being around each other really builds you to be personable, and yeah. you're, you're in a team, you're, you're on a bus, you're in a locker room, whereas other sports, you kind of just get there, and then you leave after the game. Yeah. Um, there's just so much time together with hockey teams, and yeah. everyone becomes so close, and I think you just kind of learn to get along with people and yeah. learn how to that's a huge part of it for sure and um a lot of i think a lot of hockey parents coaches teach kids how to act and yeah that's a big part of it as well and uh kids learning from their coaches okay like i'm in a public place let's do this and this is how i should treat people yeah. and, um have have you brought your parents uh, have your parents visited recently and since you moved they no they have not they have not seen a new place i have an idea for you What's all that? those years your parents drove you to hockey <laughs> everywhere when they visit Boston, 
you should totally take them to a Bruins game. Yeah, you should, like you should take them to a game. Yep. You should be like, because they'll love it. Because if they've never been to the Garden, right? No, no, they haven't. No, that's probably what you should do. You should be yeah. like, hey, thank you. This is a small token of my appreciation. Yeah, very the, small token. Yeah, the, it's funny. At first, love that, when we started like uh, <laughs> fundraising and you know just starting a company in general, you kind of get a, a sense of finances and all of that. And I slowly yeah. but surely started realizing, like, oh my gosh, I owe them so much money. Where yeah. where is this gonna come from? But, yeah. But yeah, they um yeah they did crazy things yeah to, throughout that whole journey for sure. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. I mean, that's... incredibly fun. And couldn't really ask for a better way it worked out. That's awesome. And you know, you maybe you'll learn this someday. But like having now being a parent and realizing like there's there's nothing I wouldn't do for for <laughs> our daughter. Like your parents, they they wouldn't change anything. Exactly. They'd probably listen to this and they'll be. Um, you know, so they they probably are and will continue to be so proud of you. So just keep keep working your ass off, AJ. Like really impressive Thanks, stuff. I really it, appreciate being here. Yeah, no, it was great having you here. Maybe we'll have to catch a Bruins game. One of yeah, these that'd be I would fun. Like that. That'd, that'd be, be awesome. good. You have to keep us uh, posted on developments in the coming months, and be sure to send, share it out with the uh, with the Boston Speaks Up community. And Absolutely. Wish you the best of luck. It was great to be here. Thanks so much. It's great to have you here. Cheers, Boston. <laughs> <laughs>